Morning, everyone. It's good to be with you um, on this uh, lovely day. Well done for coming to church when you see the sun shining. <laughs> we don't see it that much here, we don't, so there's always temptations in our way when the sun's out. But it's good to be together, and it's really great for me to be here with you. Um, thank you, David, for having me and um, for your kind words. Um, it's been uh, wonderful just over the last, I don't know how many years it is now, just to partner with David and Linda and just got a lot of respect for everything that they have pressed into over the years. Oh, brilliant, thank you. Um, and um, uh, what you as a community together have pressed into. Um, we, uh, we love what God's doing in our land. Um, we believe that uh, the church in the New Testament uh, didn't ever feel uh, in the midst of the empire that surrounded them and all sources of kind of hostile forces and carnal kind of gods <laughs> that were pressing in the name there was a sense in which they didn't feel isolated either they recognized that they were in partnership of a movement of other little kingdom families that were spread all across and uh, and we really feel like that's important for us particularly for churches like ours that aren't necessarily you know, part of maybe a, a, one of the mainline denominations or whatever, and, um, and where we love and really respect that, I think it's also great for us to feel like we're in partnership together. And so um, we, we just really appreciate being with that, uh, with you guys, and uh, love what the Holy Spirit is doing amongst us. And um, maybe just if you don't mind me doing a sort of brief kind of plug, I'll maybe say a little bit about the end. And in, in, in that regard, we, um, we have a festival maybe coming up, and you know about maybe in a few weeks' time. Um, the reason I'm saying it is because our tickets um, um, are only open until tomorrow at 5 p.m. But we, uh, we're, we're really encouraged. Last week we had a special Pentecost um, service down in the field where the festival will be in three weeks' time. About 700 people turned up from all over the country. It's crowded to God, all ages, from old to young, to children, to babies, to, you know grandparents let's just say and all of that and it was brilliant and uh, really looking forward to meeting at the NUA festival where all our kind of Tabar, many of our Tabar churches will be there and lots of other churches from across the country and uh, we really do believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move on us three weeks from this weekend so um, do, do keep that in mind and I'll tell you and I think a little bit to what I want to share this morning um, and I guess uh, what, I, what I want to say is the thing that really encouraged me is me and uh, inspires me uh, about uh, you guys and what you're doing here is both your willingness to keep on being faithful to what God has called you to be here in this village and the surrounding areas um, despite how there's highs and lows of that and great moments and disappointments and all of those things and I love how that is also balanced with um, hunger even as we felt this morning as we worshipped and desire to see the Lord really move and break in in power and it's those two things that I feel like I want to talk to you about this morning here in Tandergay and I shared uh, last week when we were in that field together in preparation for the next month or two of the things that I sense the Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us and I want to share that with you this morning as well particularly for this context if you can think about these two things um, particularly for those of us who maybe have lent more into the charismatic tradition um, over the last number of years where, where we believe in the renewal and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and we want and have a desire to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to see revival. Um, so we have, we have that and I feel like there's a strong element knowing David and Linda over the years. I know that that's part of what they long for in this area. And then there's also the, the day-to-day stuff, isn't there? You know, just the getting up in the morning, going to work and 
you know, changing nappies and, you know, uh, dealing with disappointments, you know, trying to like, <clears throat> trying to stay in love. Let's just be, let's just be honest about it. Trying to like love our families, trying to like raise our kids, trying to be good witnesses to our neighbors. All of those kind of things are the whoop and wharf really of everyday life that, you know, often um, we sometimes, you know, maybe don't bring to uh, conversation as much as we should. But both of those things are going on. And so I kind of want to speak into that tension this morning because both of them are really, really important. And we're going to get to a passage of scripture in a moment. But these are just more introductory comments to help me help you get a, 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 hopefully I can help articulate where I think our brains go to or the tension that we live in. And I want to try and give you a bit of a paradigm for that theologically this morning and how we can move forward. Because I do really sense that the Holy Spirit wants to come upon us. Um, in this season, the, I don't know, the, the Asbury effect, it's called, has got us all thinking. For those of you who aren't aware, there was a move of God earlier on this year um, in a university in America, in Kentucky, Wellmore, called a- Asbury. So maybe you've you heard, you heard of that, but if you didn't, let me just quickly tell you a little bit about that. A bunch of students, mostly p- uh, young people in between 18 and 25, who were at... Uh, the university, which is called Asbury University, in a little place called Wellmore, Kentucky. I think the population of the village it is around 4,000 people. And uh, after a chapel kind of service, normal kind of chapel service, where, to be honest, it sounds like the... Um, can I put this in my pocket? Is all right? In case I move around. Um, uh, to be honest, I think it was a relatively underwhelming kind of preach uh, from all accounts, from one of the students themselves, he said he didn't really even prepare that well for it. Um, but anyway, after that particular service, a number of the students, as they went to class, found themselves almost mysteriously being drawn back to the chapel where they felt the Holy Spirit convict them to start repenting of their sins, confessing to one another, crying out to God for him to do something amazing. And uh, n- numerous other students then started to find their way back to that chapel as well. I think... Uh, memo went out across the university by the principal which is pretty amazing saying listen worship is kind of breaking out within the auditorium the chapel if you want to kind of go back and you know all the all the dynamics of the skipped class or do they not skip class but all of that going on but recognizing the holy spirit was doing something there was permission for them to come back and before they knew it hundreds of students were coming back and other people were then starting to come from the surrounding area and um uh, actually just last week Tuesday and Wednesday was over in England and I had the privilege of listening to a man called J.D. Walt who was the Methodist chaplain uh, at Asbury and he was there 30 years ago or 40 years ago whenever it was when a similar move of God broke out and he kind of prayed for that kind of thing to happen again and he was able to watch students just tell us the story of students just um, facilitating and stewarding this move of the Holy Spirit. There's one really funny story where they had, uh, well, not funny, not funny. <laughs> they, had a, they had a little consecration room to the side of the stage. So before anybody lay in any particular part of, that, of, of those meetings, they had to they'd go into the consecration room. They had to like, just take some time to confess before the Lord, put their hearts right before God, and all of that before that they would, they would do anything. And, um, but because they were leading worship night and day, literally for 16 days, there was obviously, you know, uh, a lot of pressure on those leading worship. But there was no hype, no celebrities really connected to it. And one man who was a kind of big cheese in that area, he um, went up to the students and said, would you fancy, you know, a bit of a break? Because if you'd like a break, I can lead worship for a half an hour, an hour for you. So 
mechanic said, well, well, okay, so he started to lead worship and um, this guy led an agency, led a network of charity or something like that and was a pretty seasoned worship leader. And one of the students, like 18-year-old, kind of walked up to him 20 minutes into his set and whispered in his ear and said, um, we don't really think your heart's just fully right for this. <laughs> and he was like, oh, right, right, okay, well, will you, will you pray for me? And the prayer for him and he puts his guitar down and he goes... Um, goes and just does his thing and um, a few hours later I think the students recognize this guy actually was a bit of a leader <laughs> you know so they go up to him and say we're really sorry and the guy goes no no you were right you were right my heart wasn't where it needed to be for these particular moments and um, obviously a sign of just the overwhelming sense of God's presence that was leading these students and everybody that was there into a really pure consecrated devotion to God and um I reckon 15,000 people came each day, over, uh, around about uh, 50 to 70,000 visitors, they reckon, came to this little, um, this, this little village in Kentucky. Some, some big kind of revival kind of churches and uh, big sort of branded um, Christian things came, tried to stick their name on it, tried to bring their banners and they just didn't allow them in. There was a queue outside that went back for, you know, you had to wait. Some people had to wait eight or ten hours, but they prioritized anyone who was an 18 to 25 year old. So they got in first so that they could witness and be part of what God was doing. I say all that to say it gives us hope. It gets us thinking. That happened this year in our lifetime, in our generation. Uh, It gives us hope that God still breaks into history these ways god comes close and i know like and we should have a healthy kind of uh critique if that's the right word i mean too strong a word but a healthy if somebody once said if you're skeptical come and talk to the leader but if you're cynical go and talk to god because you you need to yeah and uh, it's good to have a healthy kind of skepticism if you like you know about these kind of things that we weigh and test are these things of the spirit and particularly when there's so much fake stuff at the minute so much selfish ambition being exposed in the church so much abuse being um exposed in the church it's normal that we would want to take our time to make sure something's genuine but sometimes on the other hand our over analytical mindsets you know our over kind of entitled way of thinking moves us into a place of ungodly control where we miss and forget that something remarkable really is happening and the thing that was so beautiful about what seems to have happened in asbury was its purity there's no hype. There's no name that you can really connect with it. There's no charismatic leader that seems to have initiated it. There's no merchandise. Um, you know, it, it moved over social media, yes, but they were really, really reluctant to stream it and all of that kind of a thing because they wanted to just really harness God's beautiful presence. Is it everything? No. But is it something? We better believe it's something. We better believe that God wants to move and this gives us hope. And so as I've reflected on this, this is where I'm going this morning, as I've reflected on this over the last few months, I've, I've kind of found myself in this kind of bizarre place at times in my own spirit and mind as I've thought it through because it's almost like a kind of holy jealousy for that in my own spirit, you know, for that here, for that in our own churches, for that for our own young people, for that to happen in our own schools and, and our own universities here in Ireland. And yet I've also had this sense of, I know there's work that needs to be done. 
I know there's things that God has called me to and us to that uh, are as much about getting the wineskins ready as they are about praying for the new wine. And so I found myself in this tension over the last number of weeks and months going, are we supposed to just throw all the structure out? Are we supposed to throw all the programming out and just like seek God and pray? Are we supposed to mimic what's happening over there? Is it, What even is revival in that context anyway? Is it one long continuous meeting? Is, is that what we want? Or how does this spill over into our local community and uh, affect people uh, in the streets around us and how do these places and these seasons sorry of renewal and revival what do they really look like in the context of a broken world that's always going to be broken until Jesus comes back sorry that's just the inner workings of my brain and heart and spirit over the last number of months because the thing about it is as much as I long for this until Jesus comes back in the vocation I'm in I'm still going to bury people I'm still going to pray for people that probably won't get healed the way I want them to. I'm still going to try and help marriages that are broken get back together, but probably going to have to watch them separate at times. As heartbreaking as it is, I'm probably going to still read in the news of war, of nation going against nation, relational fallout, not to mention just the day-to-day struggles of life. That kind of stuff is probably going to go on until Jesus comes back. So how do we understand that? And as I've been thinking about this and thinking about revival in this context, I've become aware of a theme in the New Testament that is what I would say potentially the most undertaught or underappreciated virtue or value in the New Testament. And um, uh, it doesn't sell many books, this one, but it's all over the New Testament. And it's the theme of this and I know you're all going to like not be able to say amen after I say these words, right? It's the theme of patient endurance, right? <laughs> See, I knew, I knew you'd all get really excited about that, right? The theme of patient endurance. But it is mentioned constantly throughout the New Testament. If you were to do a little exercise, in some of your translations will be perseverance. Patient endurance, I think, is the NAV. And loads of times as you go through the New Testament, if you were to take a highlighter, you would see that word all over it. In the Greek, it's the word something like hypomone. Okay? There's actually two words for it, but that's one of the main ones. Hypomone. And it's mentioned loads and loads and loads of times throughout the New Testament. It's mentioned seven, seven times in the book of Revelation. Okay? Four times Jesus says, it said, Jesus says it to four of the churches of the seven churches in Revelation. Okay, he mentions this word patient endurance. Actually, uh, in Revelation chapter um, 11, I think, and 13, when it's all going off, you know, and the imagery of um, the angelic and all the things happening all around the world, actually twice the angels shout out. It's exactly the same phrase twice. It says, this calls for the patient endurance of the saints. And then it says it again, exactly the same verse, two chapters later. This calls for the patient endurance of the saints. So can you imagine John the Apostle is writing to these seven churches and he's trying to encourage them against the beast of the empire that surrounds them. And what what Jesus is saying to the churches is, one of the main things he's saying is patient endurance. Patient endurance. Don't give up. One foot in front of the other every day. Even when you get knocked down. Even when you're persecuted. Even when you have to die for your faith. This calls for the patient endurance of the saints. This 
calls for the patient endurance of the saints. It helps us get a much more eternal perspective of what's going on. And so the apostolic teaching to the New Testament, if I could put it like this, is not necessarily about revival, revival, revival. It's revival in the context of the patient endurance of the saints. That in pledging your wholehearted allegiance to Jesus and walking in the fullness of the Spirit, it's kind of assumed that you will live into the revival dynamic of the renewing of the Holy Spirit every day. That's why in some ways the New Testament doesn't really teach, if that's what I put, teach revival. It teaches Jesus and it teaches leaning into Jesus and becoming like Jesus in order to patiently endure until Christ returns. Because we live in a world, until Jesus comes back, where the prince of the power of the earth, as you well know, is the devil, and where there are hostile forces to the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so we understand the movement and the longing for revival in the context of great suffering, of pain, and all that goes on in our world around us. But when it comes... When those renewing works of the Holy Spirit come, and I feel like this is important, not for you just individually, hopefully today, but even as we worship this morning, I just felt that word coming into my spirit, renewing, renewing center. And I, I do feel like there is a grace on you in this area to be a place of the renewing power of the Holy Spirit in order to help the saints and those who are not yet saints to patiently endure to see the kingdom come. I think that's upon you. So I'm going to share a passage here, Matthew 17, and make a few comments. I know that was like the longest introduction you've probably ever heard, okay? But I'm not going to talk too, too long this morning. I'm going to make a few points after reading this. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 17, if that's okay. Quite a well-known passage of Scripture, the transfiguration of Jesus. So this is, this is what it says, starting from verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> I just laugh my head off every time I read that. Like, like Jesus is having a full-on display of his glory. Moses and Elijah have just appeared, you know, and Peter's like, just letting you know, Jesus, it's good we're here. Just, it's good we're here. Like, this might not happen if we weren't here, you know. Anyway, yeah. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, it's like God says, whatever, yeah? While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down in the ground, or to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they said, no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything that they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them 
about John the Baptist. Brilliant passage of scripture, so much that we could say, but what I want you to think about it this morning in the context of what I've been saying in the, in the introduction is, this is basically a revival moment for Peter, James and John. Let me put it like this, Peter, James and John at this point are seeing more of God than any Jew has ever seen in their whole life, in all the history of their whole tradition. Because what is revival ultimately? Revival are these moments when God reveals himself more fully, more tangibly, more palpably. He bears his holy arm, if you want to put it like that. And in a very visible way, people are aware of his presence in in a kind of holy awe, fear of the Lord kind of way. And in these moments, the acceleration and the advancement of the kingdom takes place in ways that it doesn't maybe under what we might describe as normal circumstances. And so you often hear in times past, when I was 40, um, I, uh, which wasn't that long ago, I promise, I decided to do like a little revival tour that year of trying to get to as many places in history where God has broken out. So I went to Hernut in Germany where there was a hundred year prayer meeting and the Moravians experienced the presence of God. Azusa Street in LA. I went that was part of my 40th birthday trip around California, just to say. It wasn't just a one-off trip to Azusa Street. Um, I went to um, the Hebrides later on that year um, with a friend and just travelled around up there and listened to stories. And all these places, and there's many more, the, the people say, just God came close. The, the people that lived in the Hebridean revival, there's only three or four of them left on the island. They're all in their 80s or 90s. And people say you can still kind of notice who they are because when you speak to them, their countenance just almost lights up because they tasted something of the presence of God that lo- most of us just still haven't in many ways. It's, it's, and, and God just comes close and it's a sovereign move of his power, sovereign move of his grace and people are, are moved by that. And it usually results in a renewing force that happens within that community and um, God moving in unusual, let's say. So, um, as John Thompson recently heard them say, uh, weird is not always wrong. Sometimes weird is just weird, and we need to be able to say it. And there's enough in the New Testament to counter that around order and stuff like that, which not going to. But but what we see throughout Scripture is that what we might describe under normal circumstances as as weird is not necessarily always wrong, because when God comes close, things happen. Unusual things happen. There's a physical. Response every time God comes, physical manifestations. People cannot stay standing the way they are. In this particular context, they're face down. And this is what the Bible and what church history then testifies to. And in this particular moment, Peter, James, and John are seeing more of God than anyone ever has. There are some incredible stories in Israel's um, tradition from the patriarchs to Moses to the children of Israel, stunning moments where they witness the glory of God and the prophets even testify to these types of moments as well where the proximity of God's presence has broken in in a way that results in as I say physical experience of the power of God touching individuals eyes but but Peter James and John are seeing even more than anybody has ever seen because they're experiencing Jesus now picture it Jesus in the fullness of his glory. It's the same Jesus 
that has the incarnate Son of God that they have been walking with, but it's added dimension to the glory of Jesus in this particular moment. They're seeing Jesus as Jesus is seen in heaven. It's the transfiguration is what this is called. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from. And they are experiencing something of the glory of God. Imagine a brilliant white light. Imagine Jesus' face shining like the sun, his clothes dazzling with white. This is intense stuff. It's whoa. It's the same Jesus, as I say, but with the added dimension of his glory. They're witnessing how the angels understand and see Jesus in heaven. And Jesus allowed three men, like us ordinary people, to see it up that mountain that day. Wow. Yeah. That, that really happened. It's interesting, you know, when we think about the context I'm trying to lean into this morning, that Matthew gives us some detail um, to help us confirm this. And again, I'm thankful to John Thompson for helping me with some of these thoughts. He's, he, he points out this, this, what's really interesting. After six days, Matthew starts off after six days, right? First one, that should get us thinking to start with. So what, what, what's that getting at? Well, first and foremost, I think it's getting the two things. The first one is this, what happened in six days? God created the world yeah and then what happened after six days so after six days it starts God entered into his rest what what are times of revival there are times when we enter into God's rest the 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 depth of his presence Peter we celebrated Pentecost last year and part of that sermon wasn't it that you've entered into what times of refreshing Times of refreshing will come when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. And so in this moment, the, the, the people of God, or sorry, Peter, James and John, are entering into the rest of God, where God, they're seeing Jesus in the fullness of the glory. And then the other link is, if you want, if you've got your Bible in front of you and you want to jump back to Exodus 24, um, I think it's verse, I think it's verse 12 or 13, um, God is, at this particular point, he's taken the children of Israel out of Israel, sorry, out of Egypt, and he's brought them into the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, God calls Moses up the mountain a few times. And at this particular point, look at this. It says, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for your instruction. Verse 15 when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. See that cloud again? It's the same cloud that all these years later is now coming on the mountain with Peter, James and John. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. And you see this next verse? For six days. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called Moses. The Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. And to the Israelites, the glory of the God looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. So Matthew wants us to be aware that Peter, James and John are discovering all of this within the tradition of Israel. These six days are really important. Something is happening. They're entering into the cloud, the glory of God's presence. Moses had tasted something that up until that point, nobody else arguably had ever tasted that level. Maybe some of the prophets and stuff like Isaiah and Ezekiel, but something Moses had tasted something of this cloud that comes down and God, he's invited into that place. And the rabbis used this word, you know, it's a real Pentecostal term, but it's not actually a Bible word, but the rabbis used this word, the Shekinah 
glory of God. It was the word that they could use to talk about these moments when God's presence came so close and this cloud came and it looked like even a consuming fire. These pictures of cloud, wind, fire, all kind of Pentecost kind of imagery. You know, not that we need to bear in mind in the sort of categories of remind when we think of this. But what's actually happening in these moments is Peter, Matthew is linking all of this to us. Something is happening in this particular moment. But they're experiencing something even greater. Because this is confirmed by the fact that who's on the mountain with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Moses is the great lawgiver, the great liberator from Egypt. And Elijah is a great miracle worker, prophetic kind of um, archetype for all of Israel. And so you have the great lawgiver and the great prophet, both of these um, men of God, symbolizing all of Israel's tradition. And they're there with Jesus to point to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that they represent. All the law is now fulfilled in Jesus. All the prophetic tradition is now fulfilled in Jesus. And they're witnessing that all of this in this moment, this is the glory of God. This is revival in the extreme. Because this is Jesus revealed as the fullness of the story. So what happens next then when these two guys appear? Well, Peter, as as I drew attention to, he speaks up. And what does he say? He said... Oh, first of all, it's good for us to be here, Jesus. And then he says, okay, let's build a booth. Let's build a shelter. And I'll build one for you. And I'll build one for Moses. And I'll build one for Elijah. In other words, this is what I think Peter is saying. He's saying something along the lines of this. Let's stay here forever. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. This moment, this is kind of, this is the revival moment. You know, we are seeing Jesus, the glory of God. After six days, they're seeing all of this going on and he's putting it all together and goes, this is the moment, let's stay here forever. Like, why would we ever want to leave? Who wants to go down the mountain to go back to work tomorrow? Who wants to go down the mountain to that stuff that is just tough at the minute? To like the relational kind of, you know, difficulties that I'm having in my work or that particular thing that's going on with one of my children or that particular sickness that won't go away. Let's stay up here forever, Jesus. That's what we all want to do, isn't it? That's what we all find ourselves in. Let's stay in this moment. What is Peter doing? Peter's bringing a human response to a divine revelation. And then it says, while he was still speaking, the cloud came. And as a cloud comes, this glory cloud that had come multiple times through Israel's history now comes and rests on the mountain. It's the same cloud that Moses experienced. It's the same cloud that the children of Israel experienced over the tabernacle. It's the same cloud that Solomon experienced over the temple. It's the same cloud that the shepherds experienced when the angels sung and declared that great joy had come to the whole world. And now it comes and it comes around Jesus. And out of that cloud comes a voice. This is my son, whom I love. (laughs) This is my son. Whom I love. The perfect display of the glory of God is Jesus. And so revival is in Jesus, is in the person of Jesus. It's not in an event, it's not in the manifestations. They're all signs that God has come close. But revival is in Jesus. And when the cloud comes, they have a physical reaction, they fall face down. 
face down. Because God has just pronounced a perfect revelation of who he is, is Jesus. And they have to learn, as I say, that revival isn't Jesus. They don't seek this in their tradition. The tradition points to the one who fulfills it all. And so what happens next? They're terrified. And Jesus comes and he says, Okay, lads, don't be afraid. It's not what he always says after those moments. Just don't be afraid. And so they get up. And there's this beautiful little phrase that says, And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Isn't that amazing? No Moses anymore, no Elijah. No dazzling white anymore. Jesus. And they go back down the mountain. And as they go back down the mountain, if you read on, what's the first thing that they encounter? The other disciples not being able to cast out a demon. They go back to the harsh reality at times of everyday life where stuff is tough. But Peter and James and John will never be the same again. Never the same again. And it's no surprise that then they will become the leaders, the pillars of the early church. Because we all have to go back to what seems like day-to-day reality. And I know many of you are involved in that in your own lives and in the lives of others. They see something in these moments that allows them to better serve Jesus for the rest of their lives. I'm nearly finished. A few things to say. There's a great little moment in The Land, The Witch and The Wardrobe where Lucy and Edmund, after everything's happened, Aslan has shown himself and defeated um, the witch of Narnia and all of that and brought freedom to that land. They realise that they have to go back. They have to go back through the wardrobe in the real life. And uh, Lucy and Edmund are grieving that they're not going to be able to see Edmund again. Or, no, they're not. Lucy and Edmund are grieving they're not going to be able to see Aslan again. And little Lucy says, It isn't Narnia, you know, through her tears. I'm going, what I'm going back to, it's not Narnia. It's you. And we won't meet you there. And how can we live never meeting you there? And Aslan says this. I, love, I really love this. This was the very reason that you were brought to Narnia. That by knowing me here for a little, you will know me better there. This was the very reason you were brought to Narnia. That by knowing me here for a little, you will know me better there. In other words, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my glory in order for you to patiently endure until I come back. And, um, and I, I think this is how we're supposed to understand as a church our place in the world our place in the context where God has called us to individually, and your place as, as the table church here in Tandragee. And this is what Jesus was allowing Peter, James, and John to see. He was bringing them up the mountain to see him like he truly is, like we will witness him in heaven forever, in order to help us to endure now. And so I just get a sense in this season that we're in that there is much work to be done on the other side of the mountain. There are new projects to start, which will be great, but 
tough to get off the ground. There are new wineskins that need to be crafted and created. There are new things that God is calling us to give ourselves to in order to see people won, in order to see our city transformed and our towns transformed and our villages transformed. There's work to be done. There's people to be pastored. There's disciples to be equipped. There's all of that is part of what God is calling us to. But within that, I think there is a remnant of people that in this particular season that we're in, just as we have celebrated Pentecost and as, a number, as, we, as we move towards worshiping God together, and this is part of what I feel even over the next few weeks as we gather at the, at the festival down in Newcastle. I'm not saying it's the only thing, but I think it's something that in these moments, I think the Holy Spirit, this is my hunch, he, he, wants, he wants to bring us to Jesus. He wants us in these moments to see him again. He wants us to feel the nudge of the Spirit to come up the mountain and to see Jesus and, and to see him there again, to see him like we've never seen him before. The thing about John, the thing about this, like what we have to remember is what I, what I found really, really remarkable is like John the Apostle, for example, it's three years with Jesus. He goes up this mountain and he, he, sees, he sees Jesus in, in, in Matthew chapter 17. He, he falls face down. He sees Jesus crucified. He sees Jesus rose from the dead. He sees Jesus' resurrected body. Like he, he, John's seen it all. And then if you were to read Revelation, when John's about probably 90 years old and he's on the island of Patmos and he has a vision and he sees Jesus again, what happens? He doesn't go, oh, I saw you before there one time. You know, same deal. What happens? Flat on his face again. He's moved from familiar to fascination. And I guess the sort of gentle challenge I want to bring to you this morning is God wants to move you from familiar to fascination. When was the last time you were completely fascinated with the person of Jesus? When the Holy Spirit peeled back all that was familiar and you looked into the beauty of who he is and it almost caused you to fall down in your face again. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily feels like that happens every single day, but there are moments where Jesus wants you to see him so that you can be completely fascinated by him. The thing that's really interesting about Matthew chapter 17 is it comes after Matthew chapter 16. That's not really interesting, that's just logical. But the thing in Matthew chapter 16 that is interesting is it's the bit where Jesus says, who do you say that I am to the disciples? You know that story? And Jesus says, uh, yeah, Jesus says, guys, who do you say that I am? And if we're, if we're honest, <laughs> the rest of the disciples are faffing. They're wavering. Mm, you know, some say John the Baptist. Oh, no, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. It's a prophetic image there of the <laughs> pouring out of the... Right? <clears throat> Um, some say John the Baptist some, some say you're one of the prophets some say Elijah they're all deconstructing they're all wavering they're all you know. and then Peter goes oh, you're the Christ you, you are the one we've been waiting for you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah you're, you are the fulfillment of all that we've been waiting for and I have just allowed those words to come out of my mouth <laughs> And Jesus said, blessed are you, son of um, Jonah, because, you know, Holy Spirit has revealed this to you, not flesh. Isn't it interesting that in the moment when there's like a remnant of people that go, you're the Christ, that then it seems Jesus goes, okay, 
Now I'm going to reveal myself. Now I'm going to show them more of myself. And we're living in a world, and we're living in a church, big C. There's lots of faffing going on. And I'm not saying that critically, I'm just using it metaphorically to say, there's lots of deconstructing going on. There's lots of, well, is he or isn't he? What does it mean? You know, there's, 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 there's lots of compromise around God's word. There's, lot, there's all of that's going on. We're all being sucked into conversations, and, and some of those are important. But the reality is there's a spirit of the age that is trying to deconstruct the very truth of who we are and what we stand on. And God is looking for a remnant of people to go, do you know what? The truth is Jesus. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we are staking everything we are and everything we will be on who Jesus is. And I, I think the Holy Spirit's doing that at the moment in the church. He's, he's calling for people. And as those people say, you are the Christ, I think there is an invitation coming because I think God wants to show those people more of who he is so that we can patiently endure. Because in one way, in, in a kind of worldly, out there, it's not going to get any easier. But in another way, for those of us who love Jesus and are prepared to radical discipleship, to be changed into his likeness, I think there are moments coming where he wants to speak to us. And I and reveal more of who he is and fascinate us again with his presence and pour out his spirit to renew us and to refresh us, to heal every part of us, to heal every part of every wounded part of us, everything that's connected to our family of origin that we're not even like even that conscious of, but those subconscious things. He wants to untangle every kind of wounded uh, part of our soul, but he also wants to untangle every kind of complex uh, mind Tor tormenting mindsets that we have. He wants to, he wants to release us with the. He wants to bring us into times of refreshing. He wants to do that, and he wants to do that in here because he wants to do it out there. Yeah, and God has a grace, I believe, upon you guys, to be a renewing center yeah. in this area. So that might mean you become a big church on a Sunday, or it may not. I think it. I, th I think it does mean that. I think you will grow. I think you will accelerate. And when that happens, but I think you're being called to steward the presence of the Holy Spirit. People come into this atmosphere, come into this place, come into this open heaven where Jesus is, where Jesus is worshipped, and the renewing power of the Holy Spirit moves, <laughs> and people are renewed in order that they can patiently endure where God has called them to. And so I'd love to pray that over you this morning. You want to come and maybe guys leading worship just as you um, I just um, sorry